welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. The Can series marches on unstoppable. We are close to stopping just because there aren't any other premieres left except for showing up, which I think will be a main subject for this episode. Uh, and for this episode, I'm very happy to be rejoined by after, I don't know, three years? Something like three years. Something like three years. I guess basically the last can that I was in person. And yeah, so 2019. Um, and that is, of course, uh, Justin Chang of the Los Angeles Times. Hello, Justin. Hello, Nick. It's so good to be back with you here at Cannes again and just to see you. It's been it's been way too long. Yes. it's a, it's. I don't even know if I've mentioned that much on the podcast, but yeah, I mean, the whole remote thing, uh, <laughs> sort of a little <laughs> alienating in terms of film community. Very much so. So it's been very good. Um, of course, you know, the way scheduling is, you you know, you'll, you'll see people just glancingly and then see them at the end. Yeah. But I think it's a really special film we'll be able to talk about here. And I didn't even know um, that you were talking to the director. Um, and that film is? Showing Up, uh, directed by Kelly Reichardt. Most of the press saw it this morning. I actually saw it in Los Angeles shortly before the festival in mm-hmm. um, preparation for um, uh, an interview I was going to do with uh, Kelly Reichardt and Michelle Williams, the star, in um, here in Cannes. And I really wanted to because um, they've had such a long and rich collaboration for films over 14 years, starting with Wendy and Lucy, which was here at Cannes, playing in Uncertain Regard in 2008. And then they did they did Meek's Cutoff and Certain Women together, and now they've done Showing Up, in which um, Michelle Williams is really front and center in a way that she hasn't been with, I think, Kelly Record since Wendy and Lucy. I mean, she played... Yeah. Um, and this is Reichardt's first movie in competition. A well, well-deserved yeah. step up finally for her. It's been a while. It's, it's been a while. I mean, she hasn't been again. She was, she's you know, she's had some history with Cannes. She was here on the jury in 2019, right. and you know, um, and I think she was telling me that was a more fun experience for her than um, than uh, the very stressful first trip to Cannes, which I can imagine we all remember our first trip to Cannes. Nothing like it. Yeah. Would never want to repeat it. But um, <laughs> yeah, in the movie, I really, I love the movie. It's, it's this. Um, and I'm curious to know the reaction and almost sort of stealing myself for perhaps f- sentiments of being underwhelmed by something that is very light and loose and funnier than her, I think, anything she's ever done. I think it's the oh, first cool. movie she's made that could actually be described as as a comedy. Okay. And especially coming after her wonderful uh, First Cow, which was, yeah. you know, period drama set in Oregon Territory in the 19th century. This one uh, is a con- back, goes back to a contemporary milieu it's a lot of it takes place at an Oregon art school and so it's very much Reichardt you know exploring again this part of you know not just uh, the Pacific Northwest but also something very dear to her which is her art school background as, yes. a, as a teacher uh, and w- Williams plays um, an artist named Lizzie a sculptor who is uh, a fictional character but based on many real-life sculptors that oh, cool. um, that Reichardt knows and um, yeah it's basically just a, f- a few days a few fraught days in her very eventful very frustrating life as she's preparing for um the unveiling of her work at an art show and it's kind of funny it was talking to kelly record i was thinking about like, oh she's you know as it must be some similarity of feeling as as she prepared to uh you know unveil her latest movie here at can yeah it's it's irresistible to try to think about that that a little um I, have, I should say, I have not seen this film yet, um, but as, as a big admirer of Reichardt, I was eager to hear about it. And this one, you know, especially since, I mean, her relationship to, like, 
filmmaking and everything around filmmaking has always been kind of interesting. So I was very curious about, yeah, yeah how this might speak to her, that part of her experience. Because it often feels like if she could, she'd really just be making <laughs> films and like not wanting to deal with the noise around yes. it. It felt, from talking to her and also from the evidence of the film, it felt very much like a process she enjoyed and grew out of something that she loved doing. I mean, I think she was doing a lot of making short films about sculptors, just about watching them work with oh, clay wow. and working, and, and that really inspired her and, and her co-writer, her longtime writing partner, Jonathan Raymond. Have any of those screened or have it? I am not sure. I don't know if this, oh, uh, wow. I wasn't entirely clear on that, but I think, I was looking, I, I don't think so, so maybe it was made just for her, I don't know, her own kind of, you know. Like um, sketchbook or something. Yeah, exactly, That's that kind cool. of thing. And she said that she actually got a lot more hands-on than she sometimes does, you know, like working with her also longtime cinematographer, Christopher Blauvelt. Yeah. She would sometimes like even kind of step in and be the one behind the camera, oh, operating cool. the camera, which is cool. She said she doesn't do that often, but she really loved doing. And there are wonderful scenes in this movie that are, you know, not divorced from the narrative per se, but where you're just watching Michelle Williams, who trained with uh, the sculptor Cynthia Latte hmm. um, to, um, you know, basically to work the clay and to do this convincingly on camera. And she's just sitting there working the clay and it's just very Kelly Reichardt, very um, process oriented where you're just watching somebody do something that should be tedious and should be too mundane or something to capture on film. But what I love about Reichardt is she just breaks that rule again and again yeah. and shows us that actually, no, I, I love films about quotidian activities. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about coming to Cannes is you get a lot of those, I think, or yeah. you get a, you, you're more likely to see a film like that where it's just somebody doing something um, yeah. and not, you know, advancing the plot or whatnot. whatnot. And so yeah. it's really lovely, those scenes where you're just watching these, you know, she does these beautiful figures of, of like dancers and she's sculpting them. And, you know, as with a lot of Kelly Records movies, the movie is an education in just how things work and how things get done and how you do a certain thing. And, but meanwhile, also Williams's character, Lizzie is drawn into this. Well, she's just going kind of crazy because all these things are happening and she has, you know, a difficult relationship with kind of her parents who are played by Judd Hirsch and uh, Marianne Plunkett. A uh, <laughs> difficult relationship with her brother who has bipolar disorder and he's played by oh. John McGarrow from um, First Cow. So it's uh, oh, wow. Kelly Rucker okay. working with him again. And then she, probably the most difficult relationship is between with her and her, her landlady who is also an artist. Uh, her name's Joe and she's played by Hong Chow. And there is this tension. <laughs> it's, it's so great. There's like the, the, the central t tension of the movie is that Michelle Williams's characters, uh, Lizzie's water heater has is, has gone out and she can't take a shower and she hasn't taken a shower in like days and she's just <laughs> pissed off because she's trying to get her work done uh -huh. and she can't take a shower and Hong Chao's character is just not helping her because she's an artist too and she's very flighty and free-spirited so it's it's really funny and also and I think that there is just this level of kind of tetchy comedy that mm -hmm. um, that Reichardt and Raymond get out of this scenario that we haven't really seen from them huh. before. I mean, the movie was very, very... I, I saw it kind of in a near-empty screening room, but I would love to see it with a kind of a larger audience and, yeah. and see how it plays because um, cause it's quite it's quite funny and, and, and sad, too, in, in, in the usual oh. ways. So I, I, Well, I can't wait for that. And But I like the idea that this time the kind of uh, daily life that we're seeing is is sort of her own or or something like I I hate saying that because and I'm sure she would no, swear sure. up and down left and right you know that it's not no but I think she no it's true I mean it's yeah. not I don't know if it's autobiographical in any way right. I I didn't get that sense but 
absolutely maybe it is in the sense that she really drew from her she was telling me that there was this line in the script early on and the script went through many many drafts and stages and mm -hmm. it actually event began life as a biopic of a huh. Canadian painter named Emily Carr, oh. and then they just completely changed directions and decided to make it about a fictional wow. artist instead. And there's like some early line in, in the script where it said like, uh, "funky art people making their groovy art" or something like that. <laughs> it's just like it's right. just so funny, which made me want to actually read like Kelly Reichardt and Jonathan Raymond scripts to see right. if they're they're like out really just kind of loosey goosey <laughs> description like that. Yeah. And um, so I think, and she said, yeah, she totally drew on her experiences teaching at Bard College huh. and School of Visual Arts. And so it's, a lot of that was brought to bear on, oh, cool. I think, a lot of what you see in the margins of the film, okay. you know, especially. Yeah. Um, and there's some great scenes where she just, you know, Michelle Williams and the other characters kind of step aside and the camera just kind of drifts through these kind of panoramic shots of like what's going on at the art school. And oh, here are cool. these, you know, here are people doing, you know, painting and here are people, you know, working with all these sort of mixed materials and it's it's really i mean it's just pleasurable just to watch that stuff happening that's great and i mean i'm also eager to see michelle williams who i feel like i mean not only in terms of Riker, but i just feel like generally i haven't like seen a performance of hers i think just partly because of infrequency but maybe i'm wrong or just haven't been watching the right ones yeah. um but she's yeah she's such a inward uh you know performer in many ways um so i'm which seems like a good match in a way for this kind of artist she does and 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 yet at the same time it's also in some ways her most maybe externalized performance oh, because she is getting angry a lot i mean it's and she's like just venting a lot and it's awesome. so in some ways i think she's I would imagine she speaks more in this movie than she maybe does in her previous work oh, with yeah. Reichard combined, where she's, <laughs> right. you know, because I think, you know, in like Wendy and Lucy and, and especially Meek's Cutoff, there's this very quiet inner yeah. ferocity to those characters, and Michelle Williams is so good at that. But she's really, a, she's such a versatile actor. Mm -hmm. She can do anything, and she's, so she, in this movie, she's like often just like, ooh, hissing, hissing and fuming. And, uh -huh. um, and it was interesting, Reichard said that uh, she was. Partly inspired, really blown away by Williams's work in Fosse Verdon, um, oh, and so kind of you know another portrait of an artist, you know, very yeah. different kind of that. And then Michelle Williams was saying that there's some similarities between this and her upcoming Steven Spielberg movie, The Fablemans, where she plays oh. Spielberg's mother, also a movie about artists and their parents and just the kind of artistic life of people born into oh, wow. families where you know or art is a thing. And so uh -huh. it's uh, yeah, so there's all sorts of yeah. interesting connections that birthed the movie which you know which i hope doesn't get lost as whenever the fablemans rolls out which is like you know which right. uh, i know it's it's a very it it feels very modest and scaled down in reichardt's usual ways mm. but um but i think it's really quite special yeah well i should just see this movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're near full yeah no no i mean Spo there's nothing there's nothing i could spoil i don't think yeah. except for maybe one thing which i won't go into but yes <laughs> Sounds like a very nice way to end the, the, the festival in a way. So yeah, so that's showing up, the new Kelly Reichardt film. And uh, another movie um, from, I, I guess, another defining you know, filmmaker or pair of filmmakers from the past 20 years um, of another... Yeah, there are two different strains of like contemporary cinema in a way. Um, you know, you were talking about the lived-in kind of daily life that uh, Kelly Reichardt does. The Dardenne Brothers... Uh, approach it from you know this kind of more also process oriented um, but from more of a staccato uh, kind of you know handheld uh, camera work approach uh, and this one is 
as strong as an example of that as any, uh, Tori and Lokita, which is in the competition. And <laughs> someone was saying, I think this is one of the few films in competition where they let the credits run to their completion. <laughs> Seems like some sort of special indicator of, st of status or something or insistence. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about what, what it's about a bit? Or? Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I mean, and it's it seems very typical of the Dardens that they who I think, you know, who are uh, you know, I've talked to them a few times over the years, too. And they're, mm. you know, <laughs> they're, they're lovely people as well as great filmmakers. And they uh, that the kind of respect that they would extend to their their all their <laughs> collaborators at every level of the, of the production doesn't surprise me. I think this is their I think everyone agrees this is the best thing they've done in a very long time, mm -hmm. uh, maybe in close to a decade. And um, Tori and Lakita, Tori and Lakita are both African-born uh, immigrants now living in um, in a Belgian city. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. most of the Dardenne's films are set, of course, in Belgium. And um, although I think the, dis the exact location of this one is not disclosed. And, you know, they, they've made films, of course, before about the travails of young people, of, of working class, of, of poor immigrants. And, and mm -hmm. these are just characters who recur throughout their work. And it's interesting because you can, you know, I think one reason why the Dardens have maybe been not dismissed, but maybe undervalued in recent mm -hmm. years. I mean, it's partly is because I, I don't think the past few films have been as, as, as vital. And there is a sense of formula that sets in. And it's mm -hmm. just interesting because they are they are so... Their signature, you know, handheld camera work and just, fo you know, following characters through, you know, just just that staccato rhythm that you describe is something that has been so influential that we mm -hmm. so take them for granted. I mean, it, when when they won the Palme d'Or here in 1999 for Rosetta, that style was not nearly as in vogue here. It's mm -hmm. like you throw a stone and you hit a film movie, a movie shot that way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but with Toy Lakita, they, they've regained, I don't know what it is, they've just regained something. Mm -hmm. um, there is a real... There is an anger and despair to this movie that even mm -hmm. for them, what I love about them is just their hopefulness and their mix of hopefulness and pessimism, but here they really lean toward pessimism. Yeah. Um, it's just brutal, this movie, in terms of what the characters endure. And they are just trying to survive and they are just exploited at every turn by uh, sexual predators, by drug dealers, yeah. by uh, just criminals, by even by seemingly well-meaning church officials who are, no, also just exploiting right. them. And, you know... It's like, you know, the Dardens make movies in a world where, which is our world, which is where just money makes the world go around and money drives everything. It's just mm -hmm. everything that happens is materially driven. And it's just so sad because Tori and Lakita just want like a few euros to just mm -hmm. get out and start, you know, she wants, she needs to get her papers. She wants to work yeah. as a, as a, as hired help, as a domestic or something. She mm -hmm. just want, they just want to <laughs> get out of this. Yeah. And of course that need for money, but they are just, it, it is used like as a carrot that is dangled in front of them. Yeah. And they are just, it is just weaponized against them every step of the way as yeah. they are just preyed upon. And it is, um, and I, I think there's something to be, said, to be said for why a movie that is about the exploitation of human beings mm -hmm. doesn't itself feel exploitative. Right. And that is the Dardenne's unique power. But you just, your heart breaks for these characters. Yeah. And, um, and all this, and it's, it's shot like a thriller, like so many other movies are. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just relentless. They, they are so captivating, and the movie does wrap you up in, in, in their experience so, so tightly um, and almost doesn't give you a, a moment for a breath, partly because that feels like their experience, you know? It's like they are required to be, you know, 
resourceful, quick on their feet at every turn, um, and they really rise to the occasion, especially, actually, Tori, who kind of, you know, initially you think, oh, it's going to be about, you know, Lakita taking care of Tori, and actually Tori is like the secret weapon here. Exactly, and it's interesting to see how they balance their perspectives between two protagonists, which is something new for them. That's true. And I think the way that they do that is both very deft and and also just extra devastating because it's Mm -hmm. about... Yeah. You know, there's a point exactly as you say, like where Tori has the agency in a situation mm-hmm. where Lokita is just trapped somewhere, yeah. and it's <laughs> this movie. Yeah, it's it completely. It's right. There is no there is no relief because there can be no relief because there yeah. is none for them. And I, I just you're just in awe of the Dardenne's economy. This movie mm-hmm. runs 88 minutes. Oh yeah, and you wish it were longer. Yeah. and it, it just but the emotional impact of it lasts well after that. Yeah. And considering how, you know, I'm not opposed to long movies at all, but considering how many, you know, longer movies there are, especially in the Ken competition, oh you know, where things north of two and a half hours, <laughs> yeah. or it's just, um, there is something about the just devastating precision and economy with which the Dardens work, and you're mm-hmm. just, it feels, um, it's not quite real time, but it feels that way almost, yep. yeah. and where you're just granted a few, an a-, a precious hour or two in the company of these characters, and then, yeah. and then you, they're gone, and you're gone, and well, what are you going to do? Yeah. About that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, you know, while you were talking, I, I was just thinking about you saying that it, it somehow, despite this being about like they're fighting upstream, you know, for for an hour and a half, it it's not like a, this totally hopeless movie somehow. The life that they're forced into is extremely transactional. But what's you know maybe lurking here is that there is a way that life is transactional, and mm-hmm. we sort of deal with it. I guess the problem is when it's all transactional, where they are exploited. But, you know, I think they're portraying a system where it's like, we're going to exploit you and exploit you and push you to the absolute limit. But technically, you can actually get out of this somehow. They can try, but it just requires an amount of luck. Amount of luck. And it's, you're, I think you're right. I mean, it's like there is a, there is a version of the system that works. Yes, that's what I mean. And it's like there is, and the Dardens are not being so ambiguous or mysterious about this. There is a line in the movie that I'm probably going to misquote or misparaphrase, but mm-hmm. where... I think Tori says something about Lakita, like if she could just get her papers, she'd be fine. You know, we, we, yeah. then we could move forward. And it's like, I'm, I'm definitely misperfect. There's, there's more to it or, or less yeah. to it, but it's as blunt a statement of just like, here's the solution, guys. Right. As anything, it's like it's, yeah. it's almost didactic. And yeah. it's like, I think they're very much trying to say, this is so unnecessary. Like this mm-hmm. actually could be better, and yeah. it wouldn't take. It would just take the right person, you know, giving mm-hmm. a shit basically. So yeah. it's really. Yeah, and that is, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah, and, and and obviously it is it is hard to watch, but I think the two actors they really I love watching them think on their feet on screen as well, and unfortunately we also have to watch them just like endure things on screen, especially um, the actress who plays uh, Lakita. Um, they're they the Dardans give her a lot of moments where she's just there like girding herself for something that's, yes. something's going to happen. And I mean, one other thing that also came to mind that distinguishes it a little from other Dardenne movies is I guess there's always been this idea of grace, for lack of a better word, of some in, in, in earlier films, which I don't know <laughs> is is so much here. But I don't, I don't know what, what your feeling for that was. I mean, I mean, I think it's there, but it it does feel fainter. Yeah, and faint. um, without yeah. saying anything about where this where the story goes, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's yeah, it is. Um, it is harder to see. You yeah. Know? And I think that the miracle of their movies and what I love about them is that, you know, in movies like The Sun and, and L'Enfant and, and all of them, there is this, it never feels like sugarcoating or sentimentalizing right. the, the outcome, but it's it's a reminder that, no, there is goodness 
here I think the movie says there is goodness. There are a few people who are compassionate, but but that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's really not enough. I mean, there's one yeah. scene here which I think is in some ways it's an offhand moment that takes place in the in the context of a lo- a longer shot in one take action scene, mm-hmm. and it's almost what seems like a throwaway moment. But I think it's the crucial moment of the oh. scene, and it's when a passerby has a chance to do something, mm-hmm. offers to do it. And then pulls back and goes on her uh, way. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it at that. And yeah. that is, in some ways, the most devastating moment because that person really is all of us. Yeah. And so, whew, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, yeah, that, I think I think you're right. That is that is a key moment because also since their movies are so latched onto like one or two perspectives, having that possible rope ladder dropped and then <laughs> kind of disappear. But uh, yeah. yeah, this is you know this is. A Darden film that I, I hope everyone does watch because I, I think you were totally right. You were saying before is that, you know, filmmakers that somehow were taken for granted <laughs> at a certain point, you know, despite being formative. And you can you can think of a lot of other filmmakers in the past twenty years right. that are, you know, I mean, arguably, you know, Claire Denis is is, is yes. encountering some of that now. We don't have to talk about that for sure. Um, for sure. Or you know, yeah. even Michael Haneke, although there were people that weren't yes. so much a fan in the first place. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> but this one, yeah, I I think it'd be. There have been people who have had the you know knee jerk response to this one, um, but oh, I think yeah. it's a harder case to make. But um, sure. I think it might be interesting to talk about another movie from yeah. you know uh, another generation, a younger generation of filmmaker who has a film here called Close. It's I believe there's the uh, the actress from Rosetta. Yes, is is in this film. That's in some ways the main what I kept thinking about the Dardens because otherwise, you know, stylistically there's some similarities, although it's a lot more, it feels glossier and there's mm-hmm. this kind of, you know, somewhat sometimes syrupy score that gets poured over the movie. Yeah. Um, maybe to its detriment, I think, but Emily Duquesne, who was the Dardens' great discovery in, mm-hmm. in Rosetta and she won yeah. Best Actress here in Cannes the same year that it yeah. won the Palm um, from and awarded by a jury of led by David Cronenberg, who's also oh, here in competition. Right. So I think it's it's, it's funny if like I That's think if cool. if Torin Lakita wins the Dardens their third palm, I'm going to feel a little bit bad for Cronenberg, <laughs> who has yet to win his first. Right. Um, and he really helped put them on the map, you That's know, um, yeah. in terms of can. So, but yeah, Emily Duquesne, who plays um, the mother of one of the two main characters in the mm-hmm. film, and so she's she's a key, it's a key role, but kind of on the periphery. Yeah. And this is a story about friendship between mm-hmm. two young boys who are, as the title says, very close. Um, mm-hmm. Close in a way that um, that is shown to be really beautiful and tender and moving. But because they're young boys, um, right. you know, uh, kind of at a pre-sexual age, I guess you could say. Although you know, but it's there when they're at school and they are showing this kind of physical affection and kind of they are judged and ridiculed for mm-hmm. it and um one of them leo played by extraordinary young actor named oh, yeah. um eden dambreen i hope i'm pronouncing that mm-hmm. correctly he starts to pull away mm-hmm. and so the movie is very much about this very close relationship and what happens when he, one of them starts to pull away yeah and I admire just the great simplicity of that premise and then people... This movie has, I think, caused some debate, although in terms of where it goes, and I won't say where it goes, Mm -hmm. but it goes in a direction that I did not expect. And all I had heard about this... It's funny, Nick, coming into the festival, Mm -hmm. close played in kind of the next to last, second to last day or third to last day of the festival, like right near the end of the competition. And I had heard just 
nothing but through the roof buzz on this movie oh, and saying yeah, just what an emotional powerhouse it is and and it is that i think um i was moved by it i also had some reservations about mm-hmm. the way certain reckonings are dealt with or not dealt with mm-hmm. and even with maybe a little bit of inherent resistance to the premise which um which is not a new premise let's just say mm-hmm. even though i think lucas Dahl, the filmmaker um, handles it with this very, I mean, he's clearly really talented. He has a really yeah. sensitive, delicate touch, and he is extraordinary with actors. I think that is just yeah. his greatest gift. Um, mm-hmm. So I was mostly with the film, but what did you, but what did you? Th- I was, I was with the film mostly as well. And, and I mean, I, I do think that, yeah, it takes a turn, uh, which again, I don't, I don't want to really want to reveal um, toward the end where, uh, yeah, it does feel that but for me was like a real kind of short-footedness with some sometimes familiar material maybe loses its footing a little but i guess what i really liked about it is just this sense of um an appreciation for like just touch in a way and something is basically that how that is like basically verboten (laughs) um and you know there is this kind of awful moment where um leo is signaled by by his peers that that is not you know, by you know, with the usual crass ways of name calling, that that's not something that is okay. You know, and there's there's a way in which, again, like yeah, the, like this the kind of um, soft focus and just the, the the kind of warmth, just general warmth of the of the yeah. of, the, of Leo. Uh, there's almost like a paradise before the fall feel. It's absolutely that. I mean, it is. It's interesting too, and some of this feels. It's interesting. It's partly the milieu because the Leo's family works. I guess they are. They are. Like harvesting oh, yeah. like uh, like dahlia flowers, I believe it. There, so they're basically you know. So there are lots of scenes of them running through these flower yeah. fields, and it takes on this almost like Terrence Malickian kind of glow. That's and true. it's a little you know, and some <laughs> might find the the imagery a little much, but it's <laughs> because it is evocative of this Edenic. You know, mm-hmm. the lead actor's name is Eden too. It's funny, <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's true. like, uh, and it's really, but and the, the 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 lighting is very is very warm and soft mm-hmm. and and a little gauzy maybe even, and it. It almost feels like it's taking place in this kind of utopian setting where it's mm-hmm. okay and people are accepted to be who they are and the families yeah. don't have anything issue with it. And his friend, uh, Remy, who um, okay. uh, is is often sleeping over, uh, they're often sleeping over at each other's yeah. houses mm-hmm. and they're lying, you know, and it's, they're, they're very physical with each other and mm-hmm. in a way that the parents are often there, like the mom will be sprawling on the floor and they're just mm-hmm. both lying on top of her, on top of yeah. each other. And that's kind of the extent yeah. of it really. But even that... It's like there's a sense between families. It's like, this is this is lovely and this is actually really special and yeah. and and tender. But then when they go to school, suddenly yeah. they're being judged and they're being you know called all manner of anti-gay slurs and mm-hmm. and things. And it's just and that ugliness sets in and it's like, yeah, suddenly their eyes have been opened. You yeah. know, and so it's it's really quite heartbreaking yeah it is heartbreaking because it because it is so s- sweet uh to, to that point and even at the school i mean it's not like you know everyone is ganging up on them no. like they're they're fine i think the movie's also kind of good at showing how you know when you're in grade school you're kind of navigating different circles and yes. you know you have the friends you can be one way with the friends you can totally. be another way with Very. and the movie is clearly like tapping into some common experiences of uh, leo's defense mechanisms you know where totally. he's like okay i'm gonna go into ice hockey now you know For sure the decision is very clear that, that he's making there um so yeah that's that's you know as, as far as the yeah. school milieu it's pretty interesting too it raises gr- that's so great and I, I love that stuff in the school because it's also it's like and it raises questions like yeah 
he kind of goes in what might seem like a more kind of you know rougher performative masculinity kind of way mm-hmm. and then Raimi is is really hurt by this yeah. and can't do that but it's like an it, the, the movie kind of asks who is actually the stronger one here yeah who is yeah. and who is the weaker one and how our perceptions of that are just so messed up mm-hmm. and it's about how boys are encouraged not to touch each other except only in the most kind of you know aggressively kind of masculine right. ways and they're also encouraged not to talk about how they feel mm-hmm. and uh, i mean I, <laughs> I resonate a lot with that that element of this movie mm-hmm. so um and even to the point where after you know as the movie continues it's very much about leo's inability or difficulty to communicate mm-hmm. how he's feeling yeah um and and some of that is where i it's both admirable what I think the movie's doing in terms of capturing a certain like inarticulateness about that, mm-hmm. and also there's points where you actually want like I don't know. I felt there were times when, I, especially in his relation, his encounters with other characters in the movie, mm-hmm. where I kind of wanted okay, I actually want that beat a little bit more. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm a little con- confused as to why that didn't, why that exchange didn't take place. But yeah, it's quite strong, um, yeah. and I think it's interesting too because Lucas Dahl was here. A few years ago, in Uncertain mm-hmm. Regard, and I think he won he won the Camera Door Prize for oh, Best First Film mm-hmm. for his very controversial movie Girl, which mm-hmm. was well received here yeah. and then um, widely criticized as right. transphobic by a lot a lot of people, a lot of critics, and yeah. a lot of a lot of trans audiences. And so, it's interesting to see. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the if if yeah. he bounces back from that reception with this movie because. There are things that I think he did well in Girl that he does well here, in particular just in showing family dynamics yeah. and really yeah. supportive family dynamics um, yeah. and how families are often... It's interesting. It kind of goes against sometimes what we think about as you know, kind of dysfunctional families. Let's care what happens when you have a functional family, yeah. but it's the outside world that is much harsher and crueler. Yeah, so, definitely. No, I agree with yeah. that. And, and also supportive families where... Because I think what emerges, as you're saying, it's not what you might expect about who's who has the stamina for life, you know, for the, you know, emotional things that come at you. Um, and cause Ramey, I thought was a really interesting character in that way. And you, you understand how their needs, like even in this friendship, it's not just some like, um, blandly portrayed friendship. Like they have, they're bringing different needs to that friendship. Yeah. Um, and you come to understand that Remy's are particularly strong. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciated that as well, but yeah, I'd actually, somehow forgotten the whole girl <laughs> conflagration <laughs> um but yeah that yeah. That, that will be interesting to the, see um, the, how, the how filmmakers doubtless hope yeah. we, hope we hope everyone forgets yeah. it. but i don't know which yeah. is you know which yeah. is uh we'll, we'll, we'll see but i mean in yeah. this movie it's i think it's been i think a24 has picked it up and so it will be yeah. i which i think signals very very high hopes for it and when it will be released in the states and yeah so i'm yeah i think it's uh People are very much buzzing about it being a possible awards contender here at Cannes, yeah. not just in not just in the <laughs> the awards season to come. Yeah, um, yeah mercy me, but um, but with just the Cannes awards. But. Yeah. Uh, so again, that's close from Lucas Daunt, and uh, I can't resist throwing this in uh, just yeah. because it's sort of a complete change of pace for what we've been talking <laughs> about, but um, sort of in the same way that close. When I watched it, I realized that there was a certain, I don't know, just rawness of emotion that it was tapping for me here that I hadn't really experienced too much. It isn't always the case, but I feel like a lot of movies I've been seeing, you know, it's not that they aren't dramatic or melodramatic, but they're uh, they're framed a certain way. A close activated something. 3,000 years of longing, 3,000 years of longing, the George Miller thing, just activated a sense of fun. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, actually in the description of it, I, I thought, oh, is this some sort of weird, like, chamber dialogue or drama? Because yeah. um, it's basically just, 
you know, you read about it, it's like, oh, Tilda Swinton plays a scholar, uh, and she, I don't even remember, but it, but it just felt like it was going to be in a room. But the other person in the room <laughs> is a jinn, or a genie, and yeah. um, played by Idris Elba plus, meaning Idris Elba plus um, some, you know, I thought kind of charming, you know, uh, CGI. So he's kind of will fill the room. He's like larger than life within the room because yeah, she, it's, it's, it's actually a classic three wishes situation. But like, I don't know, this is probably the least expected comparison, but like a Tarantino movie, uh, basically they talk around it and the whole movie yes. is like around those three, three wishes and everything is happening around the subject right. of the dialogue in a way. And those open out into these like episodes of adventure through the, the genie recounting how he got there his 3000 years so yeah it, i found this fun i understand how it's totally like exoticizing but at the same time it's it's in a storybook tradition you know and i don't think it's honestly any worse than a lot of, you know no, than a lot of exoticizing sorts of uh, exercises i guess no and i mean I, I thought of that too um and i i didn't i didn't love this movie but there were moments when i was certainly charmed by it and yeah. it's and it's interesting from Miller because it's very much a meditation on storytelling mm -hmm. and Tilda Swinton is playing this uh, narratologist. I mean, just love it. I do oh, love that there's a movie is. about a narratologist. Right. I mean, it's just like... That's and, what it is. And it's, this is an interesting... It's an, it is an interesting <laughs> breather in between Mad Max movies um, and yeah. where very much it is a chamber drama accented by these forays into the very, very, very distant past yeah. because the genie is like, you know, however many thousands of years old. And he's in this kind of Scheherazade style way telling these stories yeah, about right. about his past masters, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, and Tilda Swinton is just kind of like analyzing and deconstructing them at every turn. Mm -hmm. And so the movie is very much a story about storytelling. And, and I, you know, I, I, I got a little tired of it after a while. <laughs> but that childlike sense of fun that mm -hmm. you say is is very much there just in these lovely visual curly cues that he puts yeah. in. I mean, there's no, I mean, I think, I, I don't, I don't know what the budget of this movie was and how it, but it's it's interesting because, you know, it's not Fury Road expensive, but it's like, but it does feel like, given that a lot of it does take place in this hotel room, mm -hmm. it does feel expansive in yeah. some ways, visually and also just cosmically too. So yeah, yeah, you know, it. I guess there's also just a sense of playfulness on his part with it, you know. Um, not that that's absent from something like Mad Max, uh, Fury Road, um, although that had such a kineticism that you're almost you know, dis distracted. But this just feels like sitting down with him and he's spinning tails somehow, right. you know, like he's it the does. genie. <laughs> and I like that that playfulness uh, to it. And it's exactly that, it's just these kind of daisy-chained tales. And, I mean, a lot of it's down to uh, Swinton, you know, and Idris Elba because... You have to have people are going to hold you for that. And Tilda Swinton is kind of, you know, a preeminent like narrator within a movie, you know. Totally. And yes. and Elba is 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 also just gives this gravitas to it. Yeah. So they're they're perfect for this. Which is not easy to do when you have pointy ears yeah. like Elba does throughout the whole <laughs> movie right, and are yeah. like ginormous and like yeah. <laughs> and they're all in they're in bathrobes the whole movie too, which, which is a really charming. There's there's a lot of witty idiosyncratic touches to this yeah. that I I actually am kind of looking forward to seeing this again when it yeah. opens closer to you know in the states uh yeah. closer to release but yeah. yeah 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 that's true actually this is a movie um of the selections here that is coming out i think i want to say end of august early yeah. september so which 
I hope it's not a reflection of how anyone feels about it because sometimes things can kink out a lost lost there. I, actually, I think it would be a fun summer movie to yeah, have out there because yeah. it has a kind of spryness and and wry intelligence to it. Like, you know, I don't know for some reason I've thought of the Tarsum film. Yes, the fall. The fall. There's a lot of Tarsum in general, kind of yeah. it feels like in terms of just a lot of the imagery. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. um, interesting. Same sort of just kind of you know fantastical and uh, and anything goes, yeah. um, magic of, of cinema, freewheeling. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't resist throwing in uh, three thousand years. Um, nice. So I think that kind of covers a lot of ground. <laughs> the movies we've, we've talked <laughs> about. Uh, so we can probably bring things in for our landing there. Um, Justin, I don't know if you have any final thoughts, parting thoughts. As you ride off into the sunset. Oh, it's been great to be here. And as we always feel toward the end of Cannes, it'll be great to be home. Um, <laughs> that it's, and in that yeah. respect, even though a lot of things have changed at this festival and in our world and our daily lives, some things are always <laughs> stay the same. So. Yes. yes. And always, again, such a pleasure to be here talking with you, Nick. That will never change either. Likewise. Yes. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.